and if you are able, for the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture passage reading is from James 5, 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Chris, and I serve as the lead pastor here at First City. It is great to have you here this morning on this Father's Day. Uh, let, me, let me just add my uh, encouragement to you fathers. Dads, don't listen to the lie of the culture that you don't matter. You absolutely matter. You absolutely matter. Men, fathers, the world needs you. This church needs you. Your wife needs you if you're married. But most importantly, in this, on this day, we remember your kids need you. Do, do you know what the number one factor is in faith being passed down to children and that faith sticking? Dads, the faith of a father. Yes, mothers, you are awesome. You are important. Yes, a church community matters. But, but the thing that most matters in that calculus is the faith of a father. And so dads, you matter you matter in the lives of your kids, and so let me encourage you, get at it, get at it, be faithful, love your kids, uh, father them, lovingly father them, bring, bring that uh, leadership and the discipline and the growth and the comfort and the care, all of the things God has called you to do, and yeah, we know you're not perfect, yeah, you're going to blow it, but guess what? Jesus died for all of that. There's grace for that. And so you can do this in the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit. You can be a faithful dad. And so dads, go get it. Go at it. We love you. We're behind you. We're cheering you on. You are so vital in the lives of this church and the lives of your kids. And so fathers, be blessed today. Be reminded of how important you are, how much you matter, and let that be an encouragement to you. Uh, let me also just quickly say by way of welcome, if you're new to First City, uh, hey, our heart is that you would know the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is that you know the grace of Jesus and be transformed by that. And so if you have questions about First City Church, questions about how to get further connected here, questions about what it means to follow Jesus, about the Bible, whatever it may be, we'd love to meet you, love to answer those questions. Uh, so connect with us, whether at the welcome table or church center, or feel free to grab me or Pastor Paul after the service. Love to meet you, hear more of your story. Let me buy you lunch or take you out for a cup of coffee or whatever. Uh, but, but just know our heart is to extend grace uh, to you, hospitality, no matter where you are in your church, uh, in your faith journey, uh, whether you are a confident believer looking for a church home, whether you're somebody who's wrestling through what you believe, or maybe you don't even have faith at all, but you're curious and you're searching, uh, let us know. Love to connect with you. Uh, please open your Bibles, if you have not, to James uh, chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be in verses 13 through 18, as Steve read for us. Uh, the title of my message this morning is The Ministry of Prayer. And so we are in the, the home stretch of our uh, series in James. Next week, Pastor Paul is going to do his best Mariano Rivera impression and close out our series. 
You know baseball fans? Like, ouch. Like, two of you maybe you got that. But anyway, best closer in history. And so we're bringing up the best closer in history to finish out our James series. And that will be next week. And as is common in New Testament letters, James ends his, this letter with a call to prayer. And at First City Church, this is something that we have desired to grow in. This has been a, a point of growth for us the past several years. So we, we give particular time on Sundays to pray. We have other prayer gatherings throughout the year. Uh, we made a particular emphasis uh, for gospel communities this year to give more time to prayer. Uh, staff team, earlier this year, we went through a book on prayer to grow in our own prayer life and, and to lead the church in prayer. And so there's many ways that we have invested in growing in prayer. And, and by God's grace, I think we, that is happening. Still, certainly still lots of room to grow, but we are seeing the fruit of that take place. However, as I was thinking about and sort of meditating on this passage and wrestling through this, it, it occurred to me that much of the way we engage prayer is at the level of spiritual discipline. Like, I pray because it is good for my soul and good for my walk with Jesus, like, prayer is about me more faithfully following Christ, me more depending upon his power and his love and his grace and his mercy. It, it is an act of discipleship and submission to God for the good of my spiritual maturity. And listen, that is absolutely true. That is absolutely important. And, and you think even when we pray for others, it, a lot of times we see it through the extension of this spiritual discipline lens. Like, that is part of my discipleship, part of me growing is praying for other people. And I don't want us to lose that. That is absolutely true. It starts there as a spiritual discipline. That's so much of what our prayer life is, is personal encounter with God, personal growth through prayer. However, however, what this passage does for us this morning is it actually elevates our view of prayer and the power of prayer in our lives. Because what James emphasizes here is that prayer is not just a spiritual discipline, but it's also a ministry it's a means, it's a tool by which God's power works through us for the good of others. Through our prayers, God works his power to bring physical healing and spiritual wholeness. Prayer is very much a ministry that the church is called to take up. And that, First City, is something we definitely need to grow in. But, but here's, here's the thing too, though. And, and let, let's be honest here. When the topic of healing comes up, some of us get a little twitchy. Some of us get a little bit uncomfortable. Certain questions and objections maybe kind of start to rise in our mind. Even maybe some walls can even go up. Wait, are, are we saying that if we have enough faith that, that, that God will for sure heal us? Are we about to get prosperity gospel up here at First City Church? Let me, let me just... No, no. You can take a deep breath. No, absolutely not. We are not going to get all prosperity gospel up here at First City Church. However, listen, listen. Could it be, could it be that we turn the volume up on the spiritual discipline side of prayer and kind of turn the volume down on the ministry of prayer because we're afraid of being associated with the prosperity gospel. Maybe I sound prosperity gospel, or maybe we're going to open the door for that to come into First City Church and start running uh, wreckage through our church. Could it be that we turn the volume down on the ministry of prayer out of fear? Or even more, and I think this is more the case. We turn the volume down on the ministry of prayer 
Because listen, there is so much uncertainty in that. So much we can't control. So much that feels mysterious. There's a tension there that we often aren't comfortable living in. And so to take on the ministry of prayer feels a bit overwhelming. Let me just keep it in the spiritual discipline category because that feels much safer. Well, friends, whatever questions, whatever objections, whatever walls maybe kind of are floating around in your mind, your heart in this room this morning, I want us to bring that all to the table. Bring it all to the table. Be honest about it. Recognize that that is there as we let God's word challenge us and push us to take up this call of the ministry of prayer. It is an incredible ministry. It is a vital ministry. It is a beautiful ministry God has called us to. And so I want us to receive this challenge from God's word through James. And here is the main point. Here's the call for us. Take up the ministry of prayer for God's power works through you. Take up the ministry of prayer for God's power works through you. So let's unpack this main idea. Now, James, he connects his call to prayer at the end of this letter to, to the, one of the overall themes in the entire letter that we have seen. This is enduring suffering. This has been a theme that James has hit on multiple times. And here in verse 13, he makes the connection. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. So in this letter, we've seen that James has instructed us to consider it all joy when we're suffering, to be patient in suffering, knowing that Jesus is coming back. He has called us to endure through suffering because endurance is what matures our faith. And now he is saying, pray when we suffer. And here, James is very much operating in the category of prayer as spiritual discipline. Are you suffering? Pray. Like, pray for comfort. Pray for peace. Pray for joy. Pray for strength. Pray for wisdom. Pray that you would endure through the suffering that your faith may mature. There's very much a, a personal prayer dimension here that James starts with here. In our suffering, like, look, we're not sustained by keeping a stiff upper lip and just sort of white-knuckling it through the suffering. No, what sustains us is God's power, and we experience that power for ourselves through personal prayer. But, but I also love how James, he throws in a line here about being cheerful and singing praises. You're suffering, pray. But if you're cheerful, hey, sing praises. This is so important because, listen, as hard as life is, as much suffering as there is, listen, there's still reason to be cheerful. There's much good in the world that we can celebrate. Life isn't just hardship and suffering. And listen, we should never allow suffering to completely squash and swallow up our praise and our celebration and being cheerful in life. We shouldn't feel guilty for celebrating the good things God gives us if we're suffering or if we see other people suffering. Yes, yes, there's a time for mourning. Absolutely. But there's also a time for rejoicing. We weep with those who weep, but we also rejoice with those who rejoice. Both are part of our life here. One does not cancel out the other. One does not swallow up the other. We experience both. And do you know one of the ways you, you know you're engaging suffering in a mature way? You still have space to rejoice because you see there's still hope in Jesus. And so you can celebrate grace. You can celebrate good things in life. And so James calls us here to celebrate and to cheer and to rejoice when we have reason to. And then from this call to personal prayer and praise, James then turns his attention 
to the ministry of prayer. And first he highlights the ministry of prayer of the elders or the pastors in a church. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the elders or the pastors, the ministry of prayer is to be taken up by them. This is sort of first and foremost, this ministry of prayer is to be led by pastors. And why is this? Because the primary job and primary role of pastors is to care for the church. The the term pastor comes from the Latin word for shepherd. The primary image we get in scripture of a pastor is a shepherd. And what do shepherds do? They care for the flock. And so as elders, as pastors, we are to take up this ministry of prayer as an extension of us caring for the church. It's not that we have an extra abundance of power over and above everyone else in the church, but as leaders, as those tasked with caring for God's people, we take up the tools God has given us, which is prayer. And this ministry of prayer has both a physical and a spiritual dimension. It's both physical and spiritual here. What is the occasion for calling the elders to pray, according to James? It's sickness, and primarily physical sickness. Now, a couple things to keep in mind here. One, what biblical commentators highlight here and what church historians have highlighted through the practice of the church is this isn't every time someone gets the sniffles, they call the elders to come pray for them. Okay? It's, it's not just, oh, my temperature's rising, or I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little under the weather, so let me get the elders to pray. That The ministry here of prayer has a particular, the sickness has a particular severity or a chronic nature to it. It's a persistent type of suffering and sickness here that you call the elders for to pray. Also, Do not see and read into this passage that James is implying we should not seek medical help for our illnesses. He's not canceling out the common grace of medicine. No, very much we should pursue the gifts God has given us through the common grace of medicine. But at the same time, the same time, the focus here is that for the elders, for the leaders of the church, the way they are to care, they are to care for the body both physically and spiritually. We're not Gnostics that say only the spiritual matters and the physical doesn't matter. No, as your pastors, we care about you both physically and spiritually. We pray for you both physically and spiritually. And so, church, see the beauty here. That the ministry of prayer, it takes up the whole person. We care about the whole, all of us, the entirety of us. The ministry of prayer doesn't separate our bodies and our souls from each other. No. It encompasses all of it, the physical and spiritual. And so as your pastors, when we pray for you, we believe that God's power is for your body and your soul. And so we take up the ministry of prayer. But there's also the spiritual component here. James says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. So that's, that's focusing on the physical. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now we come to the spiritual. And notice the word if. That is so important here. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Listen, it was common in the ancient world to equate severity of sickness or chronic illness with sin. You you have a severe illness or you have a chronic illness, well, it must be that you sinned or maybe your parents sinned. There's some reason you're experiencing this. Jesus blows up that idea in John 9. He makes it very clear that 
physical sickness or physical disability is not necessarily the, the, the result of sin, whether yours or your parents. However, it can be. It can be. As James makes clear here, it is possible that there is a severity of sickness or a, a chronic nature to a sickness that is connected to a spiritual reality. There are times where the, the attention to physical healing is actually a pathway to the need for repentance and turning away from sin. And so James is highlighting this, that there will be times where somehow that physical and that spiritual are interconnected. And so the call for prayer for physical healing will also lead to the pastors and elders ministering at the spiritual level as well. And now, listen, I'm just going to tell you right here, as a pastor, the interconnectedness of this, this is a tough route to, to, to walk. Like, it's not always clear, the, the connectedness of this. And so when we do this as pastors, we want to do this with humility and wisdom and curiosity, not assumption and judgment. If someone's coming for prayer and they're sick, we're not immediately going, so what sin are you hiding? What's going on here? Show, tell me what's really going on. No, we, we, we seek to pray and bring healing and we ask and we pastor and we care for. And in that process, we, we pray and we hope that if there are any spiritual things going on, that those things come to the surface by the Spirit of God and they get addressed. But the point here is James is calling for the elders to care for both the physical and the spiritual in the ministry of prayer. And what's up with this anointing oil thing? <laughs> what's going on here? Is, is, is James saying, hey, go get you some Holy Ghost essential oils to put on people while they pray? I mean, we can do that. We certainly can do that. I mean, anybody got a stash of doTERRA lying around? We can, we can use some essential oils in this. But, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, oil in Scripture we see was used to anoint people, to set them apart for God. And so what James is calling us here to in the anointing of oil, it may seem kind of odd for us in our culture, but it's very similar to, in some ways, not exactly, but in some ways, how we view baptism. In baptism, we're marked by God, right? And this act of anointing someone with oil is to mark this person and say, hey, we're entrusting this person to God. This person belongs to God. We are entrusting them. We're trusting them to the Spirit. We're trusting their life to the power of God. And we're, we're, we're doing something physically to just show this, that the power in this prayer, that the hope is not in the elders. It's in the power of God, the power of the spirits. And we are consecrating this person. We're saying, Lord, we trust you. As much as there is the common grace of medicine, as much as there are physical realities that you have given us for healing, we are entrusting you, whether you heal through that way or through supernatural means, this person is yours. And however they're healed, we know that you are behind it. And so the anointing with oil is a way to mark out this person as blessed by God, under the care of God, in the hand of God, set apart to God in the ministry of prayer. And so as elders, we are to lead out in the ministry of prayer, in particular praying for those who are sick. And, and let me just, first city, let me, let me just say this on behalf of Pastor Paul, myself, Pastor Paul, and Pastor Kyle. Listen, we want to get better at this. Like, like in the past seven and a half years, th there have been times we have done this, and they have been sweet times with you all. We'll be able to come and pray for you or pray for your kids. 
but we also recognize this is an area we need to grow as pastors. We, we need to make this more available to you all. We need to make this much more of a visible ministry that when you are facing particular illnesses, you think, oh, we need to call the elders together. I need the elders to come and pray with me and pray for me. And so I want to just let you know as pastors, we want to commit this as a growth area. We want to commit this as a ministry to you all for your good. But, but here's the other side of it. Here's the other side of it. James says the action is also call the elders forward. Call the elders to come pray for you. So there is an element here where you need to raise your hand and say, I need this. I need this. And so my encouragement to you all as we want to grow in this as a church is to say, hey, if this is you, if you are feeling this burden, let us know. Because it will be our joy as your pastors to pray for you. Our hearts long to do this. We want to see the power of God at work in your life. And we know we're not special in and of ourselves, but we know God works through us as elders. And so we want to take up this ministry together. And so let us know. Let us know. Do not feel like you are putting us out. Do not feel like you're inconveniencing us or you're making a bigger deal out of something that is small. No, 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 no. This is an essential part of the ministry of the church. The ministry of prayer matters deeply. And so please let us know if we can serve you in this way. At the same time, at the same time, it is not only the elders who are to take up the ministry of prayer. This ministry is for the entire church. Notice what James writes in verse 16. Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. James moves this from the elders, a ministry of prayer for the elders, to a ministry of prayer to the entire church. And so this is a picture here of the church as a whole, confessing sin to one another and praying for one another for physical healing and spiritual health. We confess sin one to another not because there's some sort of magic in that we carry to absolve one another from sin. No, this confessing of sin is a way to stand in the grace of community, to bring sin into the light so that we may grow in maturity, we may be set free and experience deeper freedom. Because listen, first and foremost, we absolutely need the forgiveness and the spiritual restoration from Jesus. Like he is the only one that can give that to us in the ultimate sense. Anything the church does, it is only through his power. And so we need Jesus first and foremost, absolutely. But also, we grow in faith. We grow in godliness. We, we grow in maturity as we confess sin to one another, as we bring things out into the light and say, hey, this is a struggle that I have and I need your help to grow in this. I need to be held accountable. I need, I need my brothers and sisters to walk alongside me so I can grow. I mean, think about this. How often do we get spiritually sideways when we hide stuff? Like when we hide our sin from trusted brothers and sisters, man, that wrecks us. That, that, that moves us sideways. It, it affects us spiritually. And so James is calling for the sake of spiritual health and wholeness. Confess your sins to one another. Bring this stuff into the light. Rather than hiding, we're those who confess. And when we do that, we are confident we can experience spiritual healing and wholeness. And in turn, we also pray for one another. It's not just me and Pastor Paul and Pastor Kyle. As much as we love to be able to do that for you, it's not just us praying for those who need physical healing and spiritual wholeness. It's all of you. We're all called to one degree or another. We are all called. Now, some of us might be called more so, more to the front lines of this type of ministry, but there's a way in which we all as Christians, all as part of First City Church, 
embrace this ministry. Yes, there are going to be times when the elders need to be specifically called for prayer. There's going to be those times where we need to step in. But that's only one piece of the picture. The the picture James is painting here is that the ministry of prayer of the elders and the ministry of prayer of the entire church walking in lockstep together and overall a culture of ministry of prayer is built in the church. People praying for one another and through that the power of God at work to bring physical and spiritual healing in the body. It's a holistic overall picture that James is painting for us, this ministry of prayer. And so church, this ministry we are called to, it is beautiful, it's powerful, it's essential. Do you have confidence in this ministry? I mean, listen to the the statements James makes. These are strong statements. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. James is writing to these Christians and God's word comes to us this morning to have confidence in this ministry of prayer. These are statements that you would have confidence. Healing does happen. Physical healing does happen. Spiritual wholeness and restoration do happen. These things are part of life in the body. Do you have confidence in that? Do you believe that? Do you have the confidence enough that you would take up the ministry of prayer and faithfully pray for those for the sake of physical healing and spiritual wholeness? If not, why? What, What keeps you from having confidence? But perhaps all this talk of healing, again, makes you, it just makes you a bit uncomfortable. I mean, it sounds as if James is guaranteeing that if the elders or others in the church pray and pray in faith, that the sick person will be healed. Like, it sounds as if James is like, this is a guarantee. And some have interpreted it this way. Some have. If you just have enough faith, if you muster up enough faith, or the elders have enough faith, or you have enough faith, you can guarantee to be healed. You kind of name it and claim it, as some say. But then the question arises, what of those who aren't healed? What happens when they're not? Does that mean they didn't have enough faith? Or the people praying for them didn't have enough faith? Or the elders didn't have enough faith? I mean, if the elders of your church don't have enough faith, then you're in trouble. If your leaders don't have enough faith, you are in trouble. So what, what to make of that? What happens if somebody... Doesn't ha- if someone doesn't get healed, does it mean that they didn't have enough faith, according to James? Listen, I, I have known people who have prayed for healing, and I, I'm sure many, if not most of you, have known people who have prayed for healing, and they had a vibrant faith. They had a robust faith. They prayed in faith, and it didn't happen. Maybe that is your story. Maybe you have had faith, and you are praying for God to heal you physically in some way, and, and, and there was a sense of you believed it. There was a strength of faith there, and it didn't happen. And so it would be dumb to claim those people. It would be dumb on its face to claim those people didn't have enough faith. And outright a false accusation against them. And so we wade into very dangerous territory here when we start making the claims of not having enough faith. So how are we to make sense of that? And so, friends, I think here, here is the, the wrestle again. Whether it's the fear of false doctrine, 
prosperity gospel, or this dynamic of prayers not always being answered the way we want them to be answered, this can sort of throw us into this spiral and this confusion and this uncomfortableness to where we'll just sort of back away from this ministry of prayer altogether because we don't know how to navigate all of that tension. And so we can fail to operate in the confidence of ministry of prayer that James gives us. And so I, I want to I get inside this for just, for just a minute here. I want to confront a couple things, and then I want to I call us to something in faith. First, let's, let's forever put to death in First City Church this notion of enough faith, as if our faith meter has to hit a certain height in order for God's power to work in our lives. Can we just put that to death forever? Now, I, I know we may have to revisit this topic but, but can we just put to death this notion of enough faith, as if that is how God's power works in our life? I mean, what, what, what does our faith have to be on the meter? Is it like 50%, 60 75 I mean, what, what, what is the number that needs to be there in order for God to act? I mean, what does that even mean, I have enough faith? Like, how do you even measure that? How do we even understand that? Listen, yes, 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 we have to have faith. Our hearts need to be oriented to trust and dependence on God. But Jesus said if you had the faith of a mustard seed. You know how big a mustard seed is? Really small. Really small. So in the economy that Jesus has given us, there's not this faith meter that we have to hit in order to get God to act. And so can we put this to death? Can we, can we just be rid of this notion that it is somehow in our performance of faith, in our, the, the enoughness of our faith, the, the strength of our faith, the size of our faith. That's not our hope, church. Our hope is not in the enoughness of our faith. Our hope is in the goodness and power of God. And when we anchor our hope in the goodness and the power of God, here's what we can take trust in and confidence in. We can know that God is not doing this. God is not up there going, ah, ah give me a little more faith. Give me a little more. Come on, get it up a little bit more, a little more, a little more. Oh, there you go. Okay, now I'll act. Friends, that's not who God is. That is not how he has revealed himself in his word. God is a good and loving father who enjoys giving good things to his children. We don't perform for him. He doesn't require us to jump through hoops. That is not who our God is. So it's not about the enoughness of our faith. Put to death that junk. If that is you, if you, if you are beholden to that mindset, listen, my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to you. And, and if you're struggling with that because that has you, how you've been taught and how you've been formed, like I want you to know God's word holds out something better for you. If you teach that, if you teach that, I'm just going to tell you this in all love. There's a room full of people who are going to call you out. It won't even have to be me, but there's a room full of people who are going to call you out and they're going to say, hey, buddy, brother, sister, God's word gives us something better. So, hey, no, no more of that. <laughs> so, we're going to put to death this whole notion of enough faith. Second, we need to recognize, and this is the bigger picture here for us, we need to recognize James doesn't just make this free-floating statement about healing that's sort of disconnected from the larger narrative of Scripture. Like, James makes this statement operating under a sort of assumption and a, a theology that he is working in. He has a framework in which he is making the statement. And so listen, we should not make his words say more than he himself would say. We cannot take his words outside of the biblical theology that he himself is working in. 
And what is the, the biblical theology that he is working in? Well, it's the theology of the kingdom taught by Jesus. Like, as we've seen over and over and over in the letter of James, James is following very much in the, in the, the teaching of his brother Jesus. So much of what we find in James comes right out of the Gospels. And so the framework James has is this framework of the kingdom that Jesus himself taught. And so when he talks about healing, he's talking about it within this framework of the kingdom. When Jesus came to this earth, he brought the kingdom of God with him. And while this kingdom isn't a political kingdom, it is a kingdom that is going forth in power. And what is the evidence of this kingdom according to Jesus? Salvation. Salvation in Christ. Forgiveness through Jesus. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the oppression of the devil. Righteousness and goodness and peace and joy. And yes, physical healing. So we need to recognize James is operating with a theology of the kingdom here. But here's what we also need to recognize. While the kingdom of God has come, it has not come in fullness. The kingdom of God has come, but what we experience here is a foretaste, an appetizer of the kingdom that is going to come, the fullness of the kingdom yet to come. We have real kingdom power here now, but the fullness of that power has yet to come. When Jesus returns, he will bring the fullness of that power. So here's what this means. While we experience full forgiveness in Christ and we experience freedom from sin's power, we're still battling sin. We, we still wrestle and struggle through sin. There's still ways in which sin is, is in our system, so to speak, and we have to grow out of it. We have to mature out of it. So we have forgiveness, we have freedom, but sin still remains. It's still a battle. While Jesus has defeated Satan and evil powers, both spiritual and human, we still have to battle the enemy. There's still a very real enemy that is fighting to destroy our faith and fighting to destroy the world. We stand in the victory of Christ, but there's a victory still coming. And yes, we can experience God's healing power today. A foretaste of the complete and total healing we will have one day in our resurrected bodies when Jesus returns. But listen, we still live in a fallen world. We get sick. Our bodies break down. One day we will all die unless Jesus comes back before we die. Our bodies are going through a decay. And also, listen, any healing that we may experience in this world, it's still temporary. It's temporary. It is not the everlasting healing that we're going to experience in eternity. And so there is a sense where the power of healing does, is present today, but it is not in fullness. And because the kingdom of God is here, because that power is here, we pray for healing. We pray to experience a foretaste of that healing. We, we want to get a glimpse of that forever healing that we are going to have one day. And listen, sometimes God grants that request, and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes God exercises his power by bringing that healing we ask for, and sometimes he doesn't. Just as sometimes... We have to face and endure the sin and evil of this world. Sometimes we have to endure and face the sickness and brokenness of our world. And listen, this isn't because you didn't have enough faith. What determines that is not whether you had enough faith or enough faith. What determines that is the sovereign plan and purpose of God. Listen, the kingdom of God, the power of the kingdom, that's God's power. It's not your power. 
God is not a cosmic genie up there that you can rub and manipulate to get him to give you, give you power whenever you want. God sovereignly works his power for his purpose. God is the one who determines how the kingdom is going to move and the way the kingdom power is going to manifest itself. And so this is the framework, this is the understanding that James is operating. And so when he talks about healing, he, he's not talking about this free-for-all that every time we say the right words or we, we rise to a certain level of faith, it's just automatically guaranteed. But if God doesn't always exercise his power to heal, why does James speak with such bold statements? Because James is that confident in God's power. James speaks with such boldness and such directness because he's that confident. Listen, friends, knowing that God is sovereign and that we can't control the kingdom's power doesn't in any way diminish our confidence in God's power. Do, do, you, do you hear what I'm saying? Knowing that God is sovereign and knowing that we can't control his power doesn't diminish our confidence in his power. So we take up the ministry of prayer because we are confident in God's power. We take up the ministry of prayer, not based in our circumstances, but because of God's character. And so friends, take up the ministry of prayer because God is able to heal physically and spiritually. Take up the ministry of prayer because the kingdom of God is here. Take up the ministry of prayer because God is able to restore and bring restoration to our souls. Take up the ministry of prayer because God is good, loving, and powerful. He is a faithful father who gives good things to his children. And friends, even when God doesn't grant the healing we ask for, we still trust him. We still trust him. We still trust that he is good and that his goodness is at work in our lives. And when we trust him with that, here's what we do. We keep asking. We keep asking. We keep praying. We keep going to the Lord in dependence. Lord, I know you are good. Father, I know you are good. So I'm going to ask. I'm confident in your power to be at work in my life. So I'm going to ask. We take up the ministry of prayer because of the confidence we have in God. Is this full of tension? Absolutely. Is there uncertainty in this? Absolutely. Does God not always work in the ways that we would perhaps like him to work? Absolutely. But that doesn't deter us from taking up the ministry of prayer. Why? Because God is powerful and he is good. Because he is faithful, because he is good, because he has the power to do this, we pray. We pray prayers of faith, trusting in his character and in his goodness. We pray prayers of faith because of who he is. And we pray prayers of faith because he's called us to take up the ministry of prayer. He's told us, my power works through my people's prayers. And so we take this up, trusting in him. And here's what's great, church. Healing does happen. Do you know that? Healing does happen. It might not happen every time, but it happens. And there are testimonies and stories in this church of healing taking place, both physically and spiritually. And so, church, we can be confident that healing does happen. And so we take up the ministry of prayer. Listen, I am so thankful for people in this church who pray this way, who take up the ministry of prayer. Like I'm thankful for people like Caitlin Matthews and Jill Ramirez and Steph Jackson and Derek and Talitha Fugate. Like they will pray. If you need someone to pray healing for you, go to them. They will pray in faith. And you know what is true about all those people? They absolutely believe in the sovereignty of God. 
They absolutely believe in the sovereignty of God, but they also have confidence that God is good and he heals and his power is real. And I'm thankful for people who exercise this ministry of prayer in the church. And you may think, man, who am I? Who am I to do this? I'm really a nobody. I don't know if I have a lot of faith to do this. So who am I to take up the ministry of prayer? Well, friends, if that's your objection, James gives you a great example. He points you to the prophet Elijah. Now, this might seem kind of an odd person to point out because Elijah, man, of all the prophets, Elijah had a lot of really crazy stuff happen to him. The Lord works a lot of miracles through Elijah. But notice what James says about him in his ministry. Elijah was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Man, what, what a crazy thing, controlling the weather for three and a half years. I mean, what a prayer. What a prayer. But, but notice what James is highlighting here. It wasn't because Elijah was somehow special in and of himself. He was a human being like you and me. The only thing that, that Elijah was, quote-unquote, special in is he was a righteous man who prayed a simple prayer of faith. He trusted God. He was a human being, just like you and me. And yet, his prayer was powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So the question is, who is the righteous person? Who is a righteous person? Who can pray these types of prayers with powerful effect? Well, friends, it's certainly not because of our performance that we're righteous. Because Scripture makes it very clear, none of us are righteous. In and of ourselves, none of us are righteous. We all stand guilty before God. None of us deserve God's power working through us in and of ourselves. But here's the good news of the gospel, church. Good news of the gospel in two ways. One, the good news of Jesus Christ is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, you and I can be forgiven, set free, and made righteous. Jesus forgives us of our sins, he cleanses us of our unrighteousness, and he gives us his righteousness so that we stand before God righteous, loved, accepted, son and daughter. That's the good news of the gospel. But it gets, there's more, there's more. That now, standing righteous before the Lord, as a son, as a daughter, as an heir, the power of the Spirit, the power of God now works through us. You don't have to be a pastor for that. You don't have to be a deacon for that. You don't have to be a gospel community leader for that. You don't have to be super faith Christian for that. You just need to be a Christian. A Christian who puts their trust in the Lord and on behalf of their brother and their sister says, Father, heal my friend. Father, restore their soul. Bring healing. It's as simple as that. And that same power that stopped the rain for three and a half years, friends, crazy as it sounds, that's the same power working through you and me. Now listen, that moment was a unique moment in history, yes. So none of us are going to go pray for the rain to stop for three and a half years. But that doesn't take away from the points. It's the same power at work in us. When we pray for our brothers and sisters, when we pray for healing, when we pray for spiritual restoration, that is the power that is working through us, ordinary human beings made righteous by Jesus Christ. And so friend, if you are in Christ, take up the ministry of prayer for God's power works through you. Like, don't shrink your prayer life to just personal spiritual discipline. Don't let that, as important as that is, don't let that be all that it is. 
And friends, don't get wrapped around the axle about prosperity gospel and God's sovereignty. No, step into, step into the work. Jump into the battle. Be part of the healing and the health and the wholeness of the church. Take up the ministry of prayer because God's power is real. He is faithful. He is good. And he calls us to be those who pray because his power is going to work through us. With this confidence, church, with this power, with this trust, with this good of a father in God, let's take up the ministry of prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you use human beings like us, flawed, broken, sinful, those who struggle in our faith. You use us. So God, I pray that this morning you would increase our faith. You would strengthen us. You lift our eyes to see that through Christ you have called us into this incredible ministry. You've called us to pray for one another, to minister your power to one another. Father, would we be so sure of your goodness, so sure of your faithfulness, that we would take up this ministry. And even when we don't understand the way that you work, Father, we would still trust in you, and we would pray. We would take you at your word, and we would pray. 